2: Hello and welcome to another Book Off with me, Joe Haddo, and I'm thrilled to welcome two amazing authors to the podcast today who have both travelled huge distances to join me here in London town, all the way from the south of France, via Barbican, the fabulous Sarah Winman. Hello. Hello. Uh, And just (laughs) topping the mile count slightly, all the way from Western Australia, Tim Winton. Welcome to you. Thanks, mate. I have to say, mate, you look very good on the uh, jet lag. Uh,
3: I think... I don't believe in jet lag. I think it's just a way we try to glamorize fatigue. Start, right. Oh, <laughs> I just got off the plane from, you know, from wherever. No, um you, you get tired, but it's yeah. no different to staying up all night and um, trying to go to work the next morning.
2: It's true. You yeah. you just must be so used to it as well, I
3: think. Well, yeah, it's the terms of trade. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> if, if you if you're an Antipodean everywhere's a long way, you know. I mean it, it takes me 2 hours just to get to the by jet to get to the international airport, you know. <laughs> Gosh,
0: so it's it's you know yeah.
3: that's further than flying to Germany from here, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. So <laughs> I'm <it's> all right. Don't <laughs> yeah. dwell on it. You're yeah. all right. You're all right. You
4: just got to get upright, haven't you? Once that alarm get, once you're up, that's it. There's nothing else is going to happen. It. It's the contemplation when you're still horizontal, which is the trick.
2: Yeah. Mm. Quite true. You read on on long
4: haul.
3: No, I because I live uh, so far away and the and internet speeds are so abysmal, um, I just catch up on all the movies that I don't normally see. I, I'm, a, I'm a thousand miles from the nearest cinema, so um, and a thousand miles from the nearest bookshop. Uh, I Yeah, I just get on the plane and, and watch all the movies. And after a certain point, uh, you get tired and you can't concentrate, so, you, you know, um, you just sit there passively and absorb it and then go to sleep. Mm. So, I used to read a lot of them. On planes, um, perhaps I should. It actually helps
2: me reading on plane. I mean, I mm. I love to bosh a few films as well, um, but reading on planes is actually I find it very just. It, I just get immersed because I know I can't go anywhere.
4: Same thing.
3: And no one can call you.
4: <laughs> but yeah, the whole idea of reading now, I'm, I don't feel I read in the same way that I used to read. In that total immersion, there's a lot of books that come through. or You should be reading, you should be keeping up with things, you know, that great shouldness of life Mm -hmm. that overtakes. And so I'll often now, from here to Australia, I know if a book like that will see me through. And I read it from here. I read it from my heart now in a way that I tend not to do during sort of every day. Because of lack of distraction, yeah. Because you're, you're there. Not, you're not because you're immense. No, yeah. nothing at all. So I do. I really love it at that point. And
2: train journeys, mm-hmm. a nice long train up to Edinburgh from the south, you know, is uh, is often a really great <laughs> time to just get through a whole book. Yeah. And there is, um, I-, I wanted to come onto this a bit later actually, but now we seem to have naturally got to this point about both of your books. I'm talking about Tin Man and the Shepherd's Hut here, your latest novels, both of which I read in one sitting because they are quite immersive and relatively short books. And I just wondered if that was something you had consciously thought about in terms of the reader and whether those books were meant to be consumed in in one sitting or not.
3: After you.
4: okay, Um, (laughs) That was not the starting point. But the starting point was a small novel, a small novel that was weighted at the end. It was uh, after reading On Chesil Beach and understanding the power of of what that book meant to me, mm. I kind of thought, right, that's what I would like to put out into the world. And so I yeah, I wanted to write a small novel. And by that very nature it's going to be consumed a little bit faster.
3: Oh, I didn't want to write this novel at all. I mean it it um it showed up. So <laughs> I, I, I I I um I don't suffer from any intentions. So I was, I was banging away on another book and um, a scene from this book showed up and and I thought, well, that's inconvenient and uh, <laughs> just took some notes and thought I could go back to my other book and, and did for a, a week or two and then I realised that I'd been derailed by this intrusion um, and I just followed it. So I didn't know how long it was or what shape it was or even what was going to happen. Um, but I do love... I do love the short book. I do, when I'm in a a shop, you know, it's not very frequently these days, (laughs) but when I'm in a bookshop, it's almost a um, sensual thing. I'll gravitate to to the thing that's about 160, 130 pages and they don't get, they don't get written that often anymore. Mm. And I've always loved them, you know, I think maybe it was, I was a kid at school and read the old man in the sea and you know, other, other n- novellas as, as we used to call them. And it, it's just that sense that you can, you can hold them in your hand, you can hold them in your mind. And, you know, when you when think about, you know, maybe Dennis Johnson's train dreams, I don't know if you know it, just another small, uh, just, yeah, I love that size where you, you just, you're in and out, mm. you know, and, um, I wish they were that fast to write. You know, as yeah, they are. Well, to, as they are they're, not,
2: they're not easy. Are they to construct a shorter book That's a, that's a or a novella? That's a hard task, I would think.
4: I, I don't know. You know, it's my first uh, deadline. I was going back to a book that I wrote uh, 10 years ago. And it had been part of a contract of the second book so it was you know you can have the second you know second book would be a new book and then we'll go back and do an edit and so f- for months in my head i always knew that it was an edit of going back and i remember so many people saying you're going back to a book that you wrote 10 years ago how is that going to be wouldn't it be easier to write a new book i went that is the last thing i want to do <laughs> is to write a new book and so i did go back to it in november july was the deadline and then i had that classic i don't write like this anymore i've already told this story what are we going to do here? I tried to do old and new. That didn't work. So then it was it was very interesting because I was, I was up against it. So I did decide. It's like reframing a photographer, isn't it? You take the whole story and then you go, okay, 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 down here. This is the story I haven't told and this is the story I want to tell. Hmm. And it was about these two men. And there was something very a little bit stressful at the time but I can see now in hindsight how good writing fast was for me that you kind of travel on on this kind of default setting and it's just really about writing enough you know writing well enough not getting caught up in that in all that time whereby you still you're questioning yourself the whole time it's not good enough or it's this you're just down there and you're committed to the story and you believe it and you just go straight through Mm. And it was a tricky thing because I felt like I hadn't inhabited it enough because I hadn't, hadn't really given it all that time, which would have been maybe a year and a half or something like that. Mm. But it was a very interesting exercise to do.
2: And you had a, a focus, I guess, which, which helped in a way because you'd focused that original
4: exactly. manuscript. Exactly. That really, OK, it might have been six months of actual writing, but to know what a novel is not almost saves you a year.
3: Mm. I'm taking notes here
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of people will have read Tin Man and as you know I, I devoured it in one sitting and have, and have read it since but for anyone who hasn't quite got to it yet just tell us about Ellis and Michael and Annie very briefly and about that that story
4: yeah it's it's about three people it's about a marriage between um Ellis and Annie it's a friendship between them all it's about a best friendship I suppose between Ellis and Michael and more importantly it's about a love affair that these two men had um, when they were just coming out of boyhood into young adulthood and it's set in Oxford in the working class part of Oxford which is a little bit different to the Oxford of literature usually and it's set around a car factory and the tin man of the title is a job in a car factory He's a highly specialised panel beater he's called a tinny and that is Ellis' job. And at the start of the story, or the now of the story, is 1996. And only one of the three is left. And it's really about Ellis learning to define himself, while the two people who sort of loved him the most in life, or who have helped define him, you know, they're no longer in his life. And it's retracing this story, and he's trying to find the story, really, of him and Michael. Do you, do you see it
2: as a story of what might have been?
4: No, I don't, actually. I actually find it It's a story about how much you can bear. I, mm. think it's, I think it's one of the reasons why it wasn't published early on, I think, and it was right that it wasn't published early on, was that I wasn't experienced or mature enough to write it. I kind of needed to get into that sort of what I would call middle-aged zone, I have a little bit of um, experience and years under my belt to understand maybe the nature of loss and the nature of life. And that, that you kind of keep going, you know, mm. and, and we get through it all and we try and keep going. Because that, certainly, if you, you, you know, you, you're more of robust health, that's kind of the contract with life. Yep. And so I don't feel it's anything. because often I get asked about, you know, oh, should it have been sort of, you know, Ellison, Michael and not? No. You know, this is a successful marriage. You know, this is not about three people in a relationship at all. This is a successful marriage. And the woman who holds these men together is Annie. You know, this is a this is a woman's novel in many ways. And so I don't think it's about what could have been. It It's about trying to make sense of what was and allowing that love, certainly in Ellis's in life and, and memory, in, in him allowing Michael back into his life. And he kept saying to him, go find him, go find him. And the acceptance of, of what they had was really important. Hmm. And also, which I won't totally go into, there is no plot really with this book, I have to say. <laughs> but there is one thing that I always say is the wound of this story is not about death. The wound of the story, and so what death brings about is a finality, doesn't it, that you can never make right, or you can't make amends, and it's really about coming to terms with, with one particular wound for Ellis, mm. which what well, I think is sort of does become clear.
3: it's interesting that you had to, you know, had to live long enough and be disappointed, a little bit more disappointed in order to write it. You I... almost hadn't had enough disappointment.
4: I think so. You know, mm. I think I needed to understand grief, you know, between no, nobody,
3: Nobody wants to hear that, though, do they? I mean, you know, if someone says, this is all very well, dear, but uh, what you need is a bit more disappointment in your life. <laughs> come back. <laughs> come, come, back, back. <laughs> come back when your heart's been broken just a bit more. You
4: know, yeah, but that's process, isn't it? Mm. You know, you don't know until you start writing a story. Mm. You know, as you're saying, that's that life. you start one story and then another one will come in. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's a little bit of magic that you can never... You never know when that's going to happen—the one that needs to be told—but it will certainly come bite you and, and make it very clear.
3: Yeah, well, that's the chaos. It is chaos of life, and the, you know, the, the chaos of possibility.
4: Yeah, it is. In mm.
2: Sarah's book, there's there's lots of, of colour. It's quite vivid. There's fields of flowers. Oxford is very alive with the water and and people jumping into the river. And in your latest book tim the the sort of landscape is quite it's quite bleak it's it's dusty it's it's the complete opposite and on every page i felt that <laughs> um tell us a little bit about your latest book the the setting of it which i think is is incredibly important and also about Jaxi, who is a fifteen year old and i imagine was it was it him that leapt out to you while you were writing the other book or did he sort of come later
3: well it, it began just uh, in some imagery, really. I was I was writing this other book, and I this rather um, grisly I- image came into my my mind of the you know the the car falling off the jack and the and the body underneath it. Um, and it, but it what but that arrived with a voice and a, and a mind that was seeing it and saying it, and it was the, so it was the voice that um, generated the the novel and me following the voice, not understanding who was telling this story, who was, who'd, who was seeing, who was witnessing this grisly scene. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it does turn out that, you know, it was Jaxie seeing this and he's seeing his father crushed under. And I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but you know, I mean, it's the most ghastly thing that you could imagine seeing. And yet it's a sight of freedom Mm. for Jaxie. And it's a, it's, a, it's both horrifying and liberating and slightly joyous as well as terrifying because he, I mean, the story basically begins with, you know, Jaxie, this 15-year-old borderline sociopath um, who he's, he lives in a small, very, very small town. His father's the local butcher who's occasionally been prosecuted for, you know, shooting horses and um, passing passing the meat off as beef. Um, he's a drunk and he's terribly violent, um... So Jaxie's sort of been marinated in, in in violence and isolation and misogyny, you know, seen his mother routinely brutalized and over, overborne, I suppose. And um, so, yeah, he he gets, he gets beaten so often he wishes he was an orphan. His mum dies before the book starts, just briefly before the book starts, she dies of cancer. and. Then he wishes his old man would die. Just, he, all he wants is peace. You know, he wants to be an orphan, but he just, no one's ever sort of warned him about, you know, being careful what you wish for. So he comes home one day, um, one evening, and finds his father dead under the, under the vehicle, thinks that everyone's going to blame him because everyone knows in town what he's suffered at the hands of his father, and thinks, hell, I'd better disappear. Yeah, he he steals his father's high-powered rifle and some ammunition and a water bottle and some some food and just bolts out for the bush and just heads on out on foot um, through the wheat country into the into the goldfields and then and then into the salt country before the you know the great interior deserts um, mm. and at one level he's fleeing you know he thinks the cops are going to be after him because they'll, you know, they'll think oh, he, he's finally found his moment and kicked the jack out from under the car and crushed the old man's head like a pig melon as Jaxie has it, and he thinks it's a getaway. But in a sense, it's quite a bit different to that. He um, he's he's been stuck in the world that he's from, and in a sense, he's geographically leaving the narrow world that he's from and going into some sort of unknown. Um, but he's also He's also hoping to um, meet up with the, the only person who's left in the world who cares about him and that's his his girlfriend um, who is inconveniently his cousin um, and and younger than him. but you know there's 300 miles between the two of them and he's doing it all on foot through the, some of the worst country Im- imaginable. and he wants he wants to be alone for you know he needs to things to cool off. So he doesn't want to see anybody and doesn't want to be seen by anybody because he thinks that, you know, that way lies detention or even prison. But he bumps into somebody out in the out in the salt country. So it's you know it starts as a kind of a survival story, really, told by a you know fifteen year old, mm. foul mouthed urchin, um, yeah. you know, with a colourful, demotic. Uh, <laughs>
2: He's very colourful yeah. <laughs> in his language, isn't he? Yeah, I mean,
3: just, I mean. This is going to be read on the BBC at bedtime. We just can imagine, you know, it's, just going to, it's going to be a lot of spilt cocoa, I think, <laughs> in, in Albion uh, to come this month, or an awful lot of
2: beeps yeah, going on, maybe. So. <laughs> yeah.
3: But he's so it's a, it's a it's a thing where he's tr- he he has very narrow language. He's you know his emotional r- register is is very narrow. He's he's been beaten into a, a very you know. Talk about panel beating. He, he's been beaten <laughs> into a very distinct, narrow yeah. shape. But he yearns for more. He hasn't got – and he's got very intense feelings. Um, but he struggles f- to, to find the language um, to li- with which to liberate those feelings and, and examine them, I suppose. Mm. Um, so it's a – yeah, it's a, it's a kind of an ordeal that he goes through out in the desert. And um, yeah, he bumps into a, another person um, who's, a, who's older and, and male. And you know another person has a problem for him, and yet I think he realises, and both of these people in the book, you know, realise that in order to survive in that particular environment, you can't do it alone, physically and 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 emotionally. And mm. So in, in a way, it's a, a very solitary book about relationships.
2: I mentioned the the bleakness of the the setting, and you really do conjure up some fabulous images of that landscape. And you mentioned earlier about being a thousand miles away from a cinema, a thousand miles away from a bookshop where you live. So is is that a, a similar sort of place where you are based most of the time?
3: Oh, uh, in that it's in that it's similarly arid. Although I'm, I'm I'm on the edge of the desert and the edge of the sea, so it's strange. I mean, so there's red dirt behind me and. And spinifex underfoot, and <laughs> co- coral reef out the front. So it's really odd. Whereas Jaxie is, you know, he's truly interior. Um, mm. But I know that's I know that salt country quite well. It's actually it's very austere, but it's very beautiful um, as well. You just need to stop long enough to notice that. But that's been my experience of of place and landscape, is that. Um, and it's certainly been the Antipodean experience for you know, non-Indigenous people going to our big island, if you, um, there seems to be nothing there. Um, Mm -hmm. and to the European gaze, there's nothing going on and it's ugly and it's wrong and it's even perverse, you know, because the rivers run backwards and never (laughs) rains and the animals have, you know, look like they've been made out of spare parts. And, um, but if you stop, stop long enough and attend to where you are, you see patterns, you see relationships, you see things right in front of your eyes that, that you know, seconds ago weren't there just because you weren't able to see them. So it's quite a confounding place and yet rich. I mean, even even in Western Australia, which to most eyes looks very barren, you know, many parts of it have more species, in you know, a in a square kilometre than, you know, Amazon rainforest. It's just, just different species. They're just not what you're used to seeing um, in terms of plants, just for one example. So... Yeah, landscape's very important to me. It's like the story comes from place, and i and that's a weird position to be in if you're part of a broader sort of first world culture where landscape and place are, have been reduced to backdrop. They're like they're like scrims that um, just um, go behind the story. The real story is the is the people in the front, you know, with their comedy of manners. Um, and the and the places that they're in are, are just are like wallpaper. Um, we've come to see the world as, as as wallpaper, and our activities as the action. Um, when in reality, the action is what's going on under our feet and over our heads and behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, you know, our actions are, are sort of worthy of wallpaper, but um, they're a bit more potent than that. But yeah, so I'm just interested in. in and how story um, comes up out of out of the ground beneath your feet, mm-hmm. and even in a place as austere as the salt country, where it appears there's nothing out, no one out there, and nothing going on. And you're interested in, in the environment and
2: conservation, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute. Um, I just wanted to go back, Sarah, to Tinman, which has been out for a while now, mm-hmm. and what reaction you have gotten. From your readers to it, and whether it was what you expected or whether you didn't really have a any idea what was going to come back from it,
4: I never know what comes back from it. It's, a, it's I think it's a very curious thing to put, um, well, put any work, um, sort of creative endeavour out into the world actually, because it, it sort of straddles that ego line, doesn't it? That it's on one hand it's kind of arrogant to do. You know. In, you're just doing it really mm-hmm. you you think it should be out there and it goes out there but it's coming from a very insecure and vulnerable place <laughs> yes. and that's strange so i never know i never know what people are going to think you know you hope that people will read it and take from it what you take from books you know that's kind of a deal isn't it that mm. that you know if i didn't read i probably wouldn't write but i'm heavily influenced by that kind of visceral reaction that I will get from reading somebody and think, you know, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. That's as much as I can say that I'm aiming for. And so you hope you hope that that's what happens. But there are so many factors, I think, that people don't realise that are out of your hands when you put a book into the world. You know, there is timing. There's a whole heap of luck. There's there's all of this stuff. And I know people's books that have gone missing, you know, become invisible had they come out maybe six months later or before, it wouldn't have happened. So I don't really know, you know. So far, people are very generous, you know, and I've got a handful of people now who've read maybe the two books previous, and and that's really lovely, and you know, mm. they feel that you want to do that. I get often nailed for punctuation or lack of <laughs> speech. <laughs> somebody I did have a message from somebody who said she doesn't use punctuation and I go I, I do I do I really do I just don't use speech marks and then and as then if this is
3: some innovation you know do you think hello James Joyce anybody oh, 20, I know. 1920s
4: I know and so the message came back um, I would like you to rewrite it <laughs> with, with, with speech, speech marks, marks. <laughs> yes so these are the things no you say that's your what? homework set for you anyway I know yeah. I know thank goodness I know yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing for the next six months <laughs> yeah. which is always useful so, you know, these are the things that come back. But isn't... They... But that, that's right, that they cut you know, yeah. you put it out there, that's yeah, it. Look,
3: you don't mind that stuff coming back as long as royalties come back with it. Because <laughs> 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 that's what you really want, coming back. Of course you do.
4: You want to be yeah. able to write another one. You know, that's the, the joy. That's the lottery, isn't it? That's if, you can, if, you, if you've got enough to sort of hopefully huh. write another one, that's, my goodness, that's as much as you could ever hope for.
5: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: And lots of um, listeners will be wanting me to ask if you're working on another novel now, because obviously you're, you're still sort of promoting Tin Man. It's still out there. It's I, know, this I know,
4: It's tricky. It's tricky. I'm not somebody who... who can do both, actually. Mm. I find it hard to be talking about one story and then trying to come up with another one, really. Um, But I've got some... Yeah, I've got landscape knocking around. I've got a character knocking around. um, Not the one I expected. (laughs) It is that annoying situation where every time I've ever had a kind of a cerebral notion as to what I will write next, never does. You know, the story will present itself... You know, and say, well, I'm here. And that other one usually gets shoved aside and never happens. You know, it's a a funny, funny process. Just gone. Just gone. That wasn't it. Because somehow that story that you thought becomes part of the next one, even though it could be totally different. And then you're back to that blank page and everything else so there's you know I'm curious I I think I'm probably a reasonably healthy mix of anxiety and curiosity <laughs> at the moment and that requires that I give it some space and sit down and uh, see what comes up see really. what
3: comes up. okay you've got to hold your nerve that's the thing
4: yeah you're right mm. there is a point of tension which you have to live in for quite mm. a while
2: and how are you feeling book 29 Tim older <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: the long and the short of it I mean look I've, I've been doing this since I was a kid um, so I don't even know I don't know what to compare it to um, mm. I've never done anything else I've never had a job um, so yeah it's just another book I mean I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that people expect that that as you age and get more experience that it, it's easier and, um, I wish it was so, I mean, it just gets harder and harder to, to write. Sorry, Sarah, this is uh, not what you <laughs> want to hear, but, uh, the good thing is you'll have more disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the right side. But, uh, um, no, it's just gets harder and harder to write. And so any, how I feel at the end of this book is grateful that I have that, you know, that I can still do it because the fact that you, you know, you did it last year doesn't mean you can do it this year or this week. And all the books, all the you know, it's 29 books. None of them stand me in any stead at all in terms of a new piece of work. I mean, in an industrial sense, they do. I can, I can present something, and you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be at least considered. You know, it might even get published. God forbid, even if it's rubbish. You know, and that's a bad thought. But. The actual process of writing it, it the more you do it, the harder it gets because you've been places you've you've done things as Sarah said, you don't want to keep writing the same book um, you don't want to be seen to be writing the same book yeah, it's it's a whereas if you know if I was a surgeon, you know all those operations and procedures that I'd done would would be like solid mm. foundation so that when I did the next. but essentially, you know with some variation there are there are, these are procedures of repetition and every story is, is its own problem and every one of them is a new problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the execution of them, you know, it, everything's fresh and that's so annoying. That's just, that's just so, oh I just think, you know, cause someone, someone my age with, you know, you know, with 30 years experience, you could just about be phoning it in if you're in any other trade, you know. Yeah. Um, you'd be glory days, you know. But yeah, you just you come gibbering to the desk, you know, as a neophyte every single time. And um, but that's probably that's probably a good thing, mm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. Again, mixture of curiosity and anxiety, you know. And I just I just show up to work in the hope that something shows up. And then I, you know, if something does turn up, then I can actually match it. Mm-hmm. That I'm I'm worthy of whatever shows up. That I'll be attentive enough and work hard enough to keep keep at it. Mm-hmm. And and you know when you start a new book, really, a, to my mind, momentum is everything. Mm-hmm. So I understand what you're saying, Sarah. It's it's really like trying to get a jumbo jet off the tarmac and um, on a yeah. short runway. Yeah, <laughs> but you need speed. You need <laughs> momentum. You need something to get going. You know. Yeah. And even you know. You know, you can, once, you, once you've got it off the ground and taken it for a, a ride and landed it again, you can always do it properly second or third time around, you know, but you've got to get something going. And you can, yeah. you know, and you can trim it and butcher it and polish it and take, <laughs> take one wing off or whatever you need to do, you know.
4: But I think there is, I think with all creative process, there's this element of perseverance, which I don't think is, you know, is recognised. Mm. You know, that... Things aren't supposed to be easy and things aren't supposed to come quickly. You know, things take time. Good things often take time.
3: I mean, um, when, you, when you have something that does come quickly, it yeah, it's almost does your head in. Yeah. You think, why can't it be like this? Yeah, you know, yeah, of I course. I wrote a book in eight days once, you know, and just, <laughs> you think, man, just think, I, I, could, I could make some money out of this. <laughs> if I could do this all the time, you know, bollocks to the seven years stuff. What you was know?
4: your eight-day book?
3: Uh, it was a little book called Blueback. Okay. And... Um, and it was, it was a sort of a, one of those odd YA crossover things. And it was, it was, I just had so much fun. I thought, yeah. oh, why can't I? Yeah. But, but really it's, it's a long game. You're playing a, a, yep. a long game over many decades. If you're lucky enough to, to be able to stay the course and have people interested, but every, every project is just, a, you know, perseverance is a, yeah. is a lot of it. Um, and, you know, when, when people expect to go into a, a, a gig like this and think that it's that there's going to be no resistance. Um, oh my goodness.
4: You know, I mean there's no. so much resistance. <laughs> there is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often people say well, you know, you you're quite lucky. It was quite easy. You wrote this book and then you got this agent. I went, yeah, but you've got to look at the 25 years of acting beforehand. Oh. You know, that was the practice storytelling. That was not having the money to pay the bills. That was that was the keeping going and that was the waking up to the life. You know, and still wanting to do it, and still wanting to be part of that. And then, had I not kept going, then I wouldn't have encountered the doors opening this way. And so, it's it's. Don't think it's gonna. Ha- you know, it might happen very quickly for people, and you know that kind of. Mm. But genuinely, it doesn't. Pro- yeah, usually you know, it, that's usually not the Usually, it really doesn't. And and that notion of rejection, or, or you know. Find a way of of working around it and mm. putting it somewhere that is kind of healthy and there, and it's not necessarily a reflection of you. Which I say, you know, it's a very hard thing to, because of course we do. But these are the relationships; these are the mm. things in process that 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 you're going to have to sort of work through out there. I think. And you
3: can be grateful. I think those people who 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 don't have instant success can be grateful for that because you get a period of apprenticeship and 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 yeah. and learning incognito and often even publishing incognito um had had my days um but you know when you see people who have um instant success i mean you're obviously happy for them because you know just quite you know what what it's like on the other side but you also see some of the kind of cataclysmic outcome of of that that everything's too sudden. They think that that's, that's normal. I think it's mm. a repeated process. Um, plus, I mean, even if you're doing it the long haul way, um, you are growing up in public, mm. whether you, and that's not whether, I mean, if you've been an, an, an actor, then you're more comfortable with that than say I would be. Mm. Um, but just imagine having to grow up in public where, you know, you, you, your first book was a big sensation. There's just nowhere to go but down mm. from there and having to adjust. So it's like being a famous sports person and and, and retiring after your first game, mm. you know. Um, okay, well, how do I adjust mm. to that? And so you have to reconfigure yourself to, to have different expectations and it's really hard to climb down from that level of yeah. self-consciousness.
2: Mm. Do you think those acting years... Did help with your storytelling then, That's that was an influence on writing.
4: Yeah, and I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but I've, mm. you know, so I've been doing, I haven't been doing it that long, what have I been doing, 12 years now, so a fiction. And in that, you, you do, you start to look back and you start to see how it's all connected, you see how the process is all connected and how you approach things. Um, yeah, when I went to drama school, I was, there was a gap between... You know, what I wanted to say in my heart. There there was an obvious gap. And going to drama school, that point sort of was the ferryman, you know, that joined those two camps. And so I suddenly learnt the power of words by speaking other people's words. And that was the start. Mm -hmm. You know, you wonder where the start was. I mean, I can go back to another story, but that was it. To understand, to stand on stage was to stand in class and to repeat words that somebody somewhere else had written and to feel that reaction is incredible, the external but also the internal. And,
3: and you also have, you know, you're honouring the text yeah. as well, so you know that that you're taking that stuff, you're taking the word yeah. seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you know when it comes to putting your own down.
4: You do, mm-hmm. and you understand rhythm and you understand voice, literally. And I always remember being, I was listening to a photographer talk, a guy called Paolo, Paolo Reversi, and he was... Yeah, he was answering questions and somebody asked him a question uh, about, they said, can you teach somebody how to light? And he said, yeah, you can teach somebody how to light, but you can't teach the emotion of light. And I think it's a very pertinent answer in all mediums. Mm-hmm. And One of the things is about words. You can teach a lot of things, but there is a natural emotion between behind words and that's about what you do about the vernacular the poetry of the everyday of what people are saying that is the stuff that you kind of have to pick up out there I got it because I was given training and standing there with words but it is that mm. words have their own emotion putting them in a certain order has its own emotion stopping words at a certain time and this is this is the stuff that that I think separates people when when people talk about, you know, authentic voice and this coming out. It's really about whether you understand that notion, I think. Mm. Let's
2: turn our attention then to some books that you didn't write but that are important to you or that certainly you think that um, we should all read. Uh, it's the book-off time, and uh, this is where you each get three minutes to tell us about a, a book that you love, that we should all pick up if we haven't already. Uh, and, I, and I do stray away from saying favourite book because I think that's an almost impossible um, thing uh, and that would change week to week, certainly for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to use all your three minutes either. I, have, I usually have a, a bell and mm. a horn to honk you out of my time, but I haven't got them. Uh, so instead I'll just sort of make some weird noise when your three minutes is up, okay? And that will be a signal. Rather than us just assuming you're having some sort of Yeah, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) I'm just putting (laughs) a warning in now. He's not
3: foaming, but... uh, He's
2: he's, he's looking (laughs) a bit grazed. He's got Um, a
3: grunt honk going.
2: (laughs) I'm going to put three minutes on the clock. Sarah, would you like to go first or second?
4: I don't mind. I think I'm probably only going to be clearing about a minute, so um, you can have the remainder. All right, I'll go first.
2: Sarah's going first. Um, And just before we start the timer, tell us the book that you've chosen. It's A
4: Prayer for Owen Meany by uh, John Irving. Okey doke. A popular choice, I feel. I don't know.
2: Um,
3: Well, we'll find out. (laughs) Okay.
4: He's, a, he's already a, accusing a, you a, of pandering. A, you know? I know, I know, I can't believe this. Okay, it's not that. I'm going to come up. No, it is that. He's, um, gas, he's
3: gaslighting
2: he's, you. Around, I, right? know, yeah. I know, I oh, know. No derailment here. Oh. I will be quiet now. Um, you have three minutes, Sarah, if you want them okay. on A Prayer for Owen Meany. Okay. Over to you.
4: All right. Well, I've chosen this book because it was the book that I read. I came very late to reading fiction for, for pleasure. And this was the book that flipped it for me. And I. Uh, I often quote these four lines, and they're the four lines from the beginning of the book. And it said, I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. I think they're the sublime four lines. They, are, they contain the themes of the book. But more importantly, this is what we're talking about, words, doomed, doomed. It is the foreshadowing of what's to come of a memoir. It is the most brilliantly placed. So, a prayer for Owen Meany. Owen Meany is an unfilmable character. He's the working class boy whose parents have owned a granite uh, quarry. And he has this very, very high-pitched voice. He's like a caricature. And John is the narrator. And so... The now of the story is 1987, so we've got Reagan, we've got politics, we've got Vietnam War coming. But ultimately, it is about a love story, really, between these two. Very, very unlikable. The, 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 a friendship that you would never put together. And, and one that the narrator, John, has never got over. And so he's still grieving. The other thing is that uh, I based my first book on a lot of this that I didn't know. Actually, going back to reading it recently, I was like, oh, my goodness, I would have passed a a lie detector test if somebody had said, you got this from here. I would have gone, no, it is there. But one of the funniest scenes of the nativity is in this book where Owen Meany is playing Christ child and then Owen Meany also goes on to play uh, the ghost, I think, of Christmas past in Christmas Carol. Still, I think I've read this book six, seven, I don't know, times... You will get me laughing out loud. I love this book. Um, and also it changed my life, and that's very important.
2: Wow, pretty pretty concise there. Two in, minutes. Two minutes, 13.
4: 13. Not bad. I'm, I'm... No, I think that's
2: pretty good. <laughs> Better than the minute you thought you were going to do anyway. No, I know. It's true.
3: Wow. Okay. So here's me, like a little dog chasing after a brass so the... band.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> T- uh, tell us quickly, Tim, the book that you have chosen for today.
3: Oh, I thought I'd talk very briefly about um, Richard Powers. A great masterpiece, uh, *The Overstory*.
2: Okay, don't. There's
3: three minutes on the clock. If you want them, over to you, Tim. Oh, I doubt that I'll need them. Um, <laughs> well, I just don't know if I can fill up the time. It's a, it's a, it's a big, extremely ambitious, sometimes confounding novel about trees. And uh, it's it's essentially a a, a book uh, where several unrelated characters are somehow in relationship to trees, whether they're, um, whether they're, uh, defoliating them in, in Vietnam as one character, um, begins the story as a, as a chopper pilot pouring Agent Orange out over the, uh, watching his nation do that, um, not just bombing Cambodia, but stripping, you know, Vietnam of its foliage, um, or somebody who, who, um, uh, and another character who's a, uh, a botanist who starts to not just develop a theory, but actually get data on the relationships that trees have with uh, each other and their, and their ecosystem where they have cooperative behavior, where they're acting in, uh, acting as families, where they anticipate events. Um, I'm making a balls of this, but uh, essentially it's a, it's a book where, as I was talking about before, where the, the, the background becomes the foreground where um, Powers is trying to write about humanity um, at a time where um, we think that we're the masters of the universe. We think that we set the terms of trade um, and we're part of a planet where there's all this other stuff going on that we're blithely unaware of and also unaware of the degree to which we are permanently um, affecting it. And it's just a really peculiar um, idea, of, of, of and brilliantly conceived because uh, and, and executed because Pat Powers is such a big-brained individual where, where he's essentially writing like a scientist and a novelist at the same time, and and making it work. He's making things that shouldn't work work. So some of you know some of the big tranches of stuff where just trees are doing things. Um, and you just think this just shouldn't work. What's he going to do next? And then something else will come along, and and it you know there's a there's a whole tranche where you know people start to um, um, become activists, and so you get you get part of the the, the West Coast timber wars uh, in, in the states from the around the 80s and the 90s. Um, anyway, I'm 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 not selling this book at all. I'm I'm killing it. I'm sorry, Richard Powers, but uh, it's a book that just made me think wow, the novel can do so much more than, than what we're expecting of it, um, and it can contribute...
2: <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean was to make you jump in. That was three minutes. Oh, my God, that's impressive. Sorry. <laughs> I knew it would go quickly. I <laughs> think that was a great rubbish. pitch. No, no, I, I, do pitch. no, no
4: I, I do too. That was a review I for me. I was drawn in. That was a review.
3: No, I feel yeah. like I should write him a letter of apology.
2: <laughs> Not <laughs> at all, Sid. Not at all.
3: That
4: should be published in a newspaper.
2: I thought they were both great, really. I think you've undersold both yourselves and... You made sense. And definitely sold both of those books. I just... I just love how you talk, Sarah, about, about that, that book, about the doom that you get from literally one of the first lines that you know something's coming and that friendship that shouldn't work but does. And also the, the influence on your first book and how you sort of fa- thought about that latterly. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. And calling it a masterpiece and an, an ambitious novel, which is essentially about trees and that lovely line about sometimes he just writes about trees doing things. I feel like the whole background becomes the foreground. Thing is, is so important, and it's probably it's very hard to do well. So, based on those two pitches, I have to choose one to take home. You know, for the readers, but uh, for the listeners. But of course, everyone listening will have have their own thoughts, and they'll go out and check out both of these books. I'm sure, based on both of those pitches, I think I I feel like I want to take the powers. Yes. I'm sorry,
4: Sarah. No, 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 I would, I would take the powers.
3: That's because you because took of the, the fiver off me. Didn't you? <laughs> Radio's <laughs> great. Sh- you don't see the money crossing Sarah the table. Sarah didn't see it either, so don't ruin I the money. I did, <laughs> I
4: did. See, I see everything in here. You two think you got away with it. But I'm saying I would take the powers. Uh,
2: have you read it? No, i no, I just, I feel like that's got, it's got so much
3: intrigue in it. But Owen Meany was filmed, you know. Was
2: it? Mm.
4: I thought it was only a theatre play.
3: No, it was uh, it was made into a, 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 a I can't remember the title of it, and it's got Oliver Platt. Um,
4: no uh, way! Y- you know, I didn't it's know a that lovely, oh. Is it? Did it and, work? And it's
3: got and it's got who's the dude from uh, the Mask? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. No. In, in the, yes. As who? As him? A, as him as the old as the as the old. It's all <laughs> new information! <laughs> a little scramble. Your I network, wish I'd I it? wish
4: I'd known that at the start.
3: It, yeah. I are should you, have
4: done Zora Neale Hurston their eyes are watching God yeah. it's, it's totally <laughs> are you going to watch it called, now? it wasn't called
3: A Prayer for Harmony okay. um.
4: you're going to watch
2: it now no now that you know but no, no. Le- best left,
4: best left I, think it, I think it's best left
2: I appreciate you both <laughs> coming and joining us for Book of. it's uh, been uh, an absolute pleasure, pleasure talking Thanks to you so. The Shepherd's Hood hut the shepherd's hut it's a northern hut <laughs> <laughs> the shepherd's hut is out now on Picador published over here and we wish you all the best with it Tim and, Thanks, mate. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip here Tim man of course is available it's been out and anyone who hasn't it's read it should out. it's still it's, bloody it's out still mate still
4: limping along
2: <laughs> not at all uh, it's slouching towards Ben <laughs> like is, <him>. it is <laughs> <Yeah>. another incredible <laughs> book uh, and I can recommend both of both of your novels uh, to everyone Thank you both. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.